0: Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read in Matthew chapter 17. And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that, and give it to them for me and for yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Today's text really covers four different sections for us. It starts with the transfiguration which is a holiday, a holy day, that in the Christian Church we celebrate each and every year. It is the final Sunday of the season of Epiphany right before the beginning of the season of Lent on the three-year lectionary calendar. There's a lot more questions that we could ask about this text than things that we can actually answer. Six days after what, exactly? So our timing, exactly when this takes place, when was the passion prediction, which is what it's six days after. We're not told that either. Why did he pick these three disciples instead of others? What mountain did they go up? How long does he stay radiant? Does it go away right away? Does it last a while? Can other people see it too? When Moses and Elijah talked to him, What do they talk about? What is it that they're saying to one another? There are so many questions, and we just can't answer most of them. But as we dig into the text, let me share with you what we can. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, those are James and John the brothers, sons of Zebedee, sons of Thunder, Boanerges. It's the same three disciples he will take up on Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, verse 37 for that time of prayer. They seem to be the three leaders of the group. Peter certainly viewed as the leader of the disciples often, and we're going to talk about that more in the last paragraph as well. And as they go up on this mountain, Jesus is transfigured. The Greek word used is the one that actually gives us our English word, metamorphosis, changed. His form changes. And again, the the conversation here is that this seems to be about his, his radiance, that he radiates light, which does connect to the revelation that talks about near the end of the book that Jesus will be the light in paradise, and we'll have no need for a sun, S-U-N, anymore. His clothes even become white as light. Light, not just a nice fancy white, but More than that, as we often think of even the angels radiating light from their their clothing when they appear. This is a truly deep holiness, a truly deep perfection. Actually, a little surprised that laundry detergent companies don't make use of this, or historically didn't make use of this account to advertise their products. Wouldn't make sense in 21st century American culture, but the 1960s and 70s, it would have. Anyway, why is it Moses and Elijah who appear? So questions you can ask your kids in this section. What's the transfiguration? Why does God send Moses and Elijah? Where did we hear the phrase, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, in this book before so we talked about the transfiguration already why is it moses and elijah is actually a question we can answer and it's going to tie into what god himself says so let's skip to that first peter seeing these three recognizing that there's something significant going on it's good for us to be here even if he doesn't really understand fully what the significance is at least not at that moment But as he's still speaking about making tents for them so they can stay the night, God shows up. A bright cloud overshadowed them or enveloped them. Cloud. It's one of the ways that the Lord appears in Scripture. Again, we think of the pillar of cloud by day. Throughout the Exodus account in the wilderness wanderings, we think of Mount Sinai as a cloud descends on the mountain so God can meet with Moses there, or as the cloud descends and covers the tabernacle as the glory of God enters it in Exodus chapter 40. God appears as a cloud here and speaks and again repeats the words that he has said back in the baptism account of Jesus when John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan River, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So certainly indicating this to Peter, James, and John, that their focus is to be on Jesus. And then this next phrase is the point of the transfiguration. Listen to him. And then everything else vanishes. Moses is the Old Testament representative of the law. And Elijah is the Old Testament representative of the prophets. This is how they would have viewed it at the time. They called the Old Testament the law and the prophets, and those were the two chief men. So they're there, and they see basically the entirety of Scripture laid out before them in Moses and Elijah. And then God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then the law and the prophets disappear. Now, that's not to say, because Jesus has spoken of it this way himself, he has not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. The point here is to have the disciples, the soon-to-be apostles, focusing their attention on the words of Jesus Christ, which, before they went up on the mountain, recall Jesus' passion prediction, Peter says, far be it from you, Lord. and Jesus rebukes him get behind me, Satan. Now they come down from the mountain, Jesus will say it again, and this time they listen, and they don't rebuke. They're distressed, they're saddened, but there's no rebuke that they offer Jesus for saying this. So there's a shift. The disciples are starting to listen to Jesus better from this text. All right, as we move to the next section, We get the conversation between jesus and his disciples as they come down from the transfiguration he tells them not to tell anyone until he has been raised from the dead notice that they still don't react to the idea that jesus is going to rise they seem instead to believe that that's a reference to the end of the world a belief in a resurrection of all the faithful And so they end up connecting this to Elijah's visit that they just saw. Malachi 4 verses 5 and 6 talk about how God would send the prophet Elijah before the great day of the Lord would come. And so they're making end of the world possible connections here. You can almost see the gears turning about what all of this might mean for them. Just as Christians today ponder... If we are in the last days, if Jesus Christ truly is coming back, if the resurrection of all flesh is going to happen soon, that's where they are in that very moment with that pondering. And so they ask about Elijah, and this is where Jesus is going to remind them. He's going to take them back to what he said back in chapter 11, that Elijah was John the Baptist. So they get it in verse 13, we see that. So they're listening to him, see? See? But first, he says, Elijah does come, he will restore all things. This is a reference to the prophet's work, which is not going to be the way they expect. Because he immediately says, I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they'd look around and they'd say, but things aren't restored. Again, the disciples expect deliverance from Rome. They want the Messiah to be a military hero. And so they can look at this and say, this isn't the case. Elijah came, if John came, if he's him, it's not all restored yet. What's going on? It's not by their expectation. That's the thing that the disciples are still going to have to learn and really won't until after Christ's resurrection. Then they can begin to put those pieces together and see that Jesus is a savior in a very different way to save us from sin death and the devil as they leave the mountain and they come back down and rejoin the other nine disciples a man has been with them seeking healing for his son and failed the disciples couldn't do it and the description of the son has nothing to do with demons So ignore that for a moment. He has seizures, which is literally in the Greek, moonstruck, translated in NASB into English as a lunatic, and suffers terribly, falls into fire, falls into water, so nearly burned to death, nearly drowned. These are common things for him. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. I brought him to your disciples. They could not heal him. Now, let's get Jesus' response before we return to that. Jesus is angry. Faithless, twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me, and then he heals the kid immediately. Who's he angry with, though? The least likely is the dad, because the dad came to Jesus in faith. The most likely is his disciples who have failed to cast out the demon. It is possible, though, it's also the whole, everybody around, because, again, he came to the crowd. Why could these others not cast him out? They are also Jews who have sought to trust and follow God. The whole generation, the whole lot of them, why is this a problem? Why have you all collectively failed to do this thing? Jesus is not just a miracle worker, but that's often how they end up treating him. But notice, how does Jesus heal the boy? He rebukes the demon, and it comes out of him. Dad knew nothing about a demon, but there he is. That leaves us to wonder, and this is one of those unanswerable questions, I think, at the moment, at least for us. How much of what we think of today as disease and sickness is actually demonic? How many of our illnesses, how many of the things that make people disappear and never get seen again, really, kind of live alone, how many of the things we might see as mental illness have connections instead to demon possession? That's an unanswerable question, and I don't think it's worth wrestling with too much, which is why I'm pretty much just going to leave it there. It's worth at least acknowledging, because, again, what we see Jesus do And because our culture refuses to believe demons exist for the most part. We need to recognize as Christians that demons do exist, that the world of medicine will not always have the answers. In fact, doesn't have the answers, period, because even with the best that they can do, we all still die because we sin. Sinners die. Spiritual things still matter, very much so. When the disciples ask why they couldn't cast it out, and they do wait until they're alone later, not willing to admit this weakness in front of the crowd, Jesus calls them little faith ones. Well, actually, he calls them that three times in the Gospel of Matthew. Here he says they have little faith. And Jesus says because of your little faith for truly i say to you if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed you will say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you faith like a grain of mustard seed makes you wonder how little their faith is that it's not even that big although i admit dr gibbs in his commentary for concordia the commentary series the big blue ones Here he said that this is a reference to that growth, like the parable of the mustard seed in chapter 13, how the mustard seed grows and bears fruit. The disciples' faith is not growing, it's not bearing fruit. It's an interesting thought to ponder, certainly. But the point Jesus ends up making is that if you have faith, you can instruct a mountain to move, and it will. And this causes Christians a lot of doubt today, because they look at it and they say, but I can't, Like I've maybe I've tried, I it didn't move. And this is a good spot for us to think back to Matthew 6 verse 10 in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus prayed, thy will be done, and in the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 26 verse 39 uh, where he prays that the Father's will rather than his will be done. This is what matters with faith. Our faith acknowledges that it's not my will that matters, but God's. For what purpose would I be trying to move a mountain? Most likely, if I'm trying to move a mountain today, it's because I think it would be cool, or it would be a sign to acknowledge that this statement from God is true, or it would be to show off, or who knows, right? None of those are good things. If it was necessary to move the mountain in order that you could make it to the people who lived on the other side and share the gospel with them, If it be the Lord's will, that's the kind of thing that maybe a mountain would move for. Now in our era, you can get to the other side of the mountain without it moving. That's not an issue anymore. But for much of history, it certainly was. That would be really neat if the ancient world's mountains were in different spots than the mountains are today because Christians moved them. There is a missing verse. Verse 21 does not show up in the English translation here. It reads, but this kind does not go out except by means of prayer and fasting. Most likely, that is a scribe copying the book of Matthew later on who splices in what he knows from the account, same account, in Mark chapter 9, verse 29. So it doesn't seem the original Greek manuscripts, the oldest ones that we have, don't have that here. But the guy who numbered the verses did so on the 16th, 16th century working with the 16th century text i should say that had the the comment there jesus again tells his death and resurrection and number number two of the book here he'll do it one more time still and the disciples this time do not rebuke jesus for it but they're still saddened by it why are they sad because they still miss the fact that he's going to rise from the dead wouldn't you think that would be such a an ear-stopping statement? I'm going to die, but I'm going to live again. I'm going to die, but 3 days later I my body's going to raise from death. They are so caught in their own understanding of what the Messiah should be that when they hear him say he's going to die, they can't hear anything after he says that. This is so true of our own sinful nature today that when we're talking in a conversation with somebody and they say something that we don't like, we tune out the rest of the sentence or the paragraph that they say and we just focus on the thing that we despise. It happens a lot. All right, our last part here in the text is a temple tax. This is not a Roman tax. This is a tax to support the temple likely based in Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, this was a tax that every adult Jewish male, so 20 or over in age, would have to pay. And it's roughly equivalent to two days' pay. So each Jewish male, two drachmas, a Roman currency there that they're supposed to pay. So the tax collector here, unlike probably Matthew earlier, this one works for the temple. He's just a regular Jew collecting money to support the work of God's house. This can be seen as a good thing. And so Peter goes inside, and before he even gets to ask Jesus about this tax, Jesus already tells him how to pay it. But he questions him first. Whether kings of the earth take toll or tax. From whom? And literally the word toll there would be uh, fulfillment, which may not be monetary, but perhaps like time of service kind of a thing, from their sons or from others? And Peter rightly answers others, right? You think of a king raising money to care for his family, he's not going to tax his own kids, they're the ones he's going to use the money to care for. So he's going to tax the kingdom to care for his family within it. So Jesus answers Peter then the sons are free notice here sons plural Jesus is the only Son of God and yet Peter here is called a son of God by Jesus because Jesus and Peter are both going to pay their tax even though they're exempt the sons are free the people of the household of God do not have to pay a tax the people of the household of God his children do not need to pay for the temple the Lord will provide. But in order to not give offense to them, Jesus works a miracle through a fish. A great fish story. Go to the sea, cast your line, catch a fish. Inside its mouth you will find a stator, is the, the Roman coin. It's translated shekel here in ESV. It is the equivalent of four drachmas. So it's just enough to pay Jesus and Peter's temple tax. Now we're not told Of Peter doing it, or simply to take it by faith that he went out and did. It's interesting to wonder if the the Jewish tax collectors who asked the question went with him to the sea, or if they stayed there, or what it may have been. It would be quite interesting indeed if they saw the miracle happen. The other comment I want to make about this, and I think I've said it in the study of the Gospel before, is that it's probable that the other disciples are teenagers that Peter's the oldest, we know he's married, he's the only one that we know was married at this time, so he's old enough to have a wife, that maybe the rest are younger, that they're teenagers, and this lends to that, that the tax collectors only come to Peter and they speak of Jesus, and when Jesus has Peter do the, the thing with the fish, he doesn't get enough money to pay taxes for each of the disciples, although they're present. He only gets enough money to pay for himself and for Peter, so maybe none of the other disciples are 20 years old yet. It makes a lot of sense contextually throughout the Gospels that they would be younger men, that is, that they would uh, have less ties to business or family that would prevent them from following Jesus, that they would have more years ahead of them in which to minister to the Word of God, to his people. We don't know it for certain, but consider this being in the mid-20s, right? Jesus crucified 27, 28, 29 A.D., somewhere in there. John's going to live into the early 90s A.D. That's 65 years later or so. If he's just a teenager when he's going about the time with Jesus, maybe he's 18. Now he's 83 at the time of his death instead of thinking that he's a 40-year-old man and now you have to put him up into the hundreds at the time of his death. Again, educated guesswork is all we can do on so many of the questions that this chapter presents, but what we can see is that this is the Son of God, and it's to him that we are to listen.